even have time to be happy? In this first of three parts from my book, Exhilarated Life, I wonder how we allot portions of happiness in our life. Is it just a memory from childhood, a reward for good behavior, or the defining measure of our life? Excerpt from Exhilarated Life, Discovering Inner Happiness. In Pursuit of Happiness, one of three parts. It was about 4 a.m. when I woke this morning. I lay in bed, inviting sleep back and feeling the nameless dreads lurking in the corner of my mind. What should I do about selling the house? What should I do about the car that caught fire today? Why am I clenching my teeth? I resorted to my trusted remedy, a few drops of lavender on my pillow, and twirled my nano to a meditation. Finally, away I drifted, Unfortunately, I drifted right into a very nasty dream. I was in a large car dealership reporting to the sales manager. I was their outside agent and doing very well at bringing in corporate clients. The owner, a sleazy, menacing man, came over and said, Never mind the manager. I was to deal directly with him, at which point he began to molest me. I raised myself to full height and told him to drop dead. Didn't he know who I was? But that didn't stop him, and he began to overpower me. I started screaming for everybody to see this creep and what he was doing. But no one paid any attention. Even a group of young women employees glanced at me and then looked away. I realized I was completely vulnerable in this cavernous space that he owned, where he had paralyzed everyone in the place into fear of retribution. Somehow, I broke free of his deplorable clutches and made a dash outside to my car. It was now after dark. The parking lot was huge and offered no safety or hope of intervention. My car was the only escape. But now, I discovered. I had left my keys in the sales manager's desk. Facing my fear, I ran back in. The creep let me in and out again, and I knew he was so sure of his victory and was playing with my fear. I made it to my car, but was unable to lock the doors before he jumped into the passenger seat. I careened out of the parking lot, keeping the car off balance. Finding a busy street, I jammed the car into park, leapt out the door, and into a large and crowded store. In true dreamlike fashion, it was a Halloween costume store full of women lined up to buy fluorescent wigs and such. The creep followed me in, now in a rage, and began attacking and punching in earnest. I screamed again to draw attention, but as the women looked and looked away, I shouted at one woman that I couldn't let this man frighten me and make me fearful in the future. She replied that judging from the rage in his face, I had angered someone who would now never let me alone. I was frantic with fear. He knew where I lived. I ran back to my car and got away, only to have him shoot out the tires. In a flash, I pictured a life plagued by this stalker who meant me harm, but worse, meant to torment me with a fear of harm. In that second, I realized I would rather die than live in fear. I jumped out of the car and opened my coat so he could shoot me in the heart, and then I woke up. Usually other people's dreams aren't very interesting if you're not a Jungian, but I recount this as I think, in a way, it is everyone's dream. 
and I know it was spawned by the conversation my maid and I had had that afternoon. I was waiting for a friend whom I had driven to a hospital appointment. Ethan had come to while away the time with me, and we found a quiet place at the back of the hospital property. We sat on a stone wall with our legs dangling over the edge and looked down over a formidable drop into the valley below. High up in one of the trees a raccoon lay curled and sleeping. Above, a hawk swung in lazy swoops. A creek was beginning to emerge from its snowy banks. It was peaceful and warm in the spring-like sun. We were talking about this and that, how my car caught fire and all. A dear friend of mine, aged 90, had died that week, and I shared my sadness for a long life lived in duty and not joy. This gave rise to the question of why humans are conscious. It seems rather cruel to have a physical body and a physical life, only to know that we're destined to die. What is the point in that? Neanderthals weren't troubled by that concept, presumably. So why this development of knowing? Does it give us meaning, or does it give us fear, or both? Being a student of the spiritual path in many forms, I opined on co-creating, evolution, and a greater meaning. But Ethan, in his usual forthright fashion, asked me what difference a hereafter really made to this life now. Before I got too huffy, he went on to say that so many near-death experiences included the white light tunnel and the feeling of immense love. Tap into a hundred-year-old coffin, and once you blow the dust away and kick up the skull, you can ask it, how's the light working for you now? I started to laugh because it is absolutely true. We have constructed our whole world out of the need to have a meeting beyond this life. But this is the only life we have going at this precise moment. We have created a society and a culture around things, structures, objects, laws, and businesses that keep us safe and alive and busy thinking about keeping ourselves safe and alive. And then there's all the acquired wisdom, both new age and ancient, assuaging our worried souls that there is a reason for suffering and things will be clear on the other side. But what about here and now? Ethan and I sat in the sun overlooking a picturesque creek and valley. Except for a few cans, bottles, and blue plastic buckets, it could have been hundreds of years ago. Our back was turned to the century stone house behind us. Beyond that were rings of construction fencing, leading up to a huge complex of the hospital growing in our very presence. Beyond that was the fifth largest city in North America, Toronto. The biggest buildings were churches, hospitals, banks, insurance companies. Save your soul. Save your life. Save your money. Save your house. Identical malls sprawled within blocks of each other, clamoring for consumer attention. To fill this, buy that. To be this, wear that. Belong or be outcast. We are unequivocally living in a construct of fear. And where is the happiness in that? Where is the creativity as we ding like pinballs around the obstacle courses of our lives? We distract ourselves with meaningless diversions. If we have heartfelt pleasures, we often hurry through them to get back to all we have to do. Or worse, we save our pleasures for when we have time which we rarely do.
We fall in love and then wrench the tender shoots from the earth to see if it's growing like everyone says it should. We have or acquire a child and then wear it as an accessory. Will it walk before one, talk before two, and read from a book at three? If the child rebels, can we give it Ritalin? We create a song, a poem, a dance, and then offer it up to be crushed and ridiculed by millions nationwide in a quasi-star-making machinery. We have completely given over our heart's desires to a collective unconscious. We have chosen to stay distracted by often nameless fears from the very thing our consciousness provides us, and that is the awareness of our own eventual death. Why should we be preoccupied by death? We shouldn't be preoccupied or fearful of death, only aware of its inevitability. It is this awareness that defines what is actually precious and of value to us. Otherwise, we die without ever really living. No wonder we fear death. It is the final confrontation. Why should we be preoccupied by death? We shouldn't be preoccupied or fearful of death, only aware of its inevitability. It is this awareness that defines what is actually precious and of value to us. Otherwise, we die without ever really living. No wonder we fear death. It is the final confrontation that we have spent our lives guided by anything but the truth. And what is the truth? Whatever makes you happy. Truly, heart light, happy. Happiness comes from the well of the heart, and the heart is fed from the font of creation. True happiness comes from acts of love, the love of science, nature, commerce, or humanity. As long as we are true to ourselves, we can never be wrong, and then we can die fearless and at peace in the white light of our own creative accomplishments, our legacy to a world that no longer holds us. M.H. If you enjoyed this chapter, please follow me on Thrive Global as I share exhilarated life, discovering inner happiness in chapters weekly here on Thrive. Or you can begin your own journey right away. Buy Exhilarated Life, Discovering Inner Happiness on Amazon, now in paperback or Kindle. Thanks so much for joining me.